it's really the body of work. I was disappointed in last season. I don't think uh, anybody around me um, doesn't know that because I want to win. I want our student athletes to win. I want them to be successful. And we're doing so many great things, but we hadn't won. And then when we get to this year, we're off to a great start, right? Six weeks ago, we're 5-0 and and we're one of the talks of the country. That's where Colorado should be every year, in every season. We should be the talk of the country. And we're not there, and that's why I made the decision, because we need to be the talk of the country in a positive way, and that's doing great things in the classroom, in the community, uh, and on the playing surface. That was obviously Colorado Athletic Director Rick George talking about his decision to make a change. Firing Mike McIntyre about a week and a half ago now. This is Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, it's been a little while since we did a, a podcast. Yeah, way too long. It's good to be back. It's good to be able to have a conversation about this team, even if it isn't the most positive subject matter. Uh, I don't think we're, you know, as of about a month ago, we're not too surprised to be here discussing this, I would say. But uh, uh, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, the one thing I will say I've learned enough being a CU fan and a Browns fan is that uh, coaching hires are a little bit of a crapshoot. Uh, half the time, I you know, it's like, oh, I'm stoked about this hire. This is going to work out well. All those guys seem to bust. Uh, some of the ones that are a little more uh, thought of poorly, I guess, for lack of a better term, you know, like Herm Edwards at ASU, everybody crushed that. And he ends up going 7-5, and five, beats Arizona at the end of the season. You know, they were a pretty solid program, so we'll see how that plays out long term, obviously. But to me, it's one of those things that everybody seems to think they know how things are going to play out, but it never really works out that way. So. No matter who it will be, I will give them a chance to prove themselves one way or the other, and we'll see how it plays out. We're going to start with some football topics and some fan questions that don't talk about potential candidates just because things can change so quickly in a coaching search. We're going to leave a lot of that stuff later in the show. Buff Stampede Radio, again, is brought to you by Everett Pillow by Infinite Moon. These guys are huge Buffs fans. These amazing pillows are made here in Colorado. They were even highlighted on CBS Denver News recently. Not only are they great pillows, but they help employ felons, addicts, and homeless. Great pillows with a great purpose. Fully customizable pillows for every sleep style. Just add or remove the natural feel to get your pillow exactly how you want. No chemicals, memory foams, cheap polyfoams. All natural and ridiculously comfortable. Support a Colorado company that loves the buffs and makes an amazing product. Save 10% now at infinitemoon.com and use GoBuffs in the cart. Always free delivery and a 100-day risk-free trial. Ever pillow by Infinite Moon. Made by us in Colorado, perfected by you. InfiniteMoon.com. And we're recording this at GQ Barbecue, located in Westminster at 120th and Sheridan. Without question, the best barbecue in Colorado. Jason Ganahl was a, a championship barbecue guy before he started this restaurant. It's done really well, and, and he's opening a second location down in South oh, really? Denver soon. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, GQ is delicious. So if you haven't been there, I highly recommend it. I don't know if you've ever met me before, but I have the physique of a person who knows about food, so trust me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if I start talking really fast or we end this show quickly, it's just because I'm hungry and I want to eat. Uh, they're going to feed us here at GQ. Uh, GQ's actually fed uh, the recruits, and, and I've had on multiple occasions a recruit go out of his way to mention GQ was the best food he had on his uh, official visit. What's your favorite thing to get here, Tyler? Oh, I try to switch it up, but I'd say the ribs are probably my favorite. It's hard to beat the ribs. Their jalapeno cheddar sausage yeah, is one of the really better awesome things too. that I've had here, too. Uh, even their wings, really good. Uh, so we'll talk more about GQ later in the show, but let's dive into some football topics. Colorado, it's the second FBS program to start 5-0. 
and failed to gain bowl eligibility. Kansas uh, was the other program that, that failed to do that. That was the end of the Mark Mangino era, and this marks the end of the Mike McIntyre era. Just how crazy is it to look back on this season? It's most definitely the most bizarre football season that I've covered in 16 yeah. years around the program. I feel like I've seen quite a few. And the one that separates this the most for me is this team is way too good to be having this conversation about. Um, I've watched a lot of bad football come through Colorado <laughs> since I got there in 2005. And a lot of those teams went five and seven, and yeah, they probably should have gone five yeah. and seven. And it's frustrating watching bad football. This, this was the most frustrating season for me, I think, probably of all of them, though, because the level of talent on the field, there's no possible way, no excuse, player, coach, you know, atmosphere, whatever you want to call it, for this team to have lost seven games in a row and go five and seven. So to me, uh, there's still a sour taste in my mouth about it. It's, uh, it's It wasn't a whole lot of fun, I'll say that for sure. If LaVisca Chenault does not suffer a turf toe injury in week six, is Mike McIntyre still the Colorado Buffaloes head coach? Yeah, probably, but um, it shouldn't have come to that either way, so I'm not going to say it's the lone reason why we're sitting where we are. There's still a ton of talent on this team. There's no reason to blow 28-point leads to one of the worst teams in the country and make the amount of mistakes that we did down the stretch of games. I think it was 10 turnovers in the last three games. Um, it was just a... Uh, Pretty, pretty much a disastrous finish to the year. We all knew injuries were a big part of their losing streak. How frustrated were you when McIntyre continually used that as an excuse in press conferences? Was that something that got under your skin at all? Yeah, absolutely, because I've seen teams suffer way worse injuries than what we did this year. Um, yeah, we were missing some guys at spots, but there were teams in Colorado that had worse injury luck than this one. I mean, we started a wide receiver at cornerback for an entire second half of the season once, so like, I don't really want to hear it, to be honest with you. There's, again, there's enough talent on this team that someone should have been able to come in and make this happen. We had four cornerbacks that we didn't know who would start based on the fact that they were all pretty close this season, and yet somehow two of them were a complete dumpster fire at the end of the year. So, what's going on? Yeah. Obviously, most fans were ready to fire Mike McIntyre after the Oregon State game. When did you realize it was time for CU to move on? Was it that game or was there a different moment? Because you, I mean, you're a fan correspondent, but you're not overly emotional, especially when we talk on yeah. this podcast. You liked a lot of what Mike McIntyre did in Colorado. You, I think, held out hope longer than, than some of the fan base did. Yeah, I mean, I think I saw the writing on the wall in that Oregon State game for sure. I mean, I tweeted immediately after the game, we're not winning another game this year. It's tough to rebound from something that dramatic and drastic, you know. Um, so I wasn't surprised to see the end of the rest of the season play out that way. So I guess you could say it was the Oregon State game for me. Now, up until the fourth quarter of that game, I had zero concerns whatsoever, to be honest. And we lost to two teams that didn't really surprise me. Obviously, USC fell apart down the stretch too. But, um, you know, that's a, we, we don't beat that team ever. It's a road game. It's not the end of the world if you lose that game. You have other opportunities. Washington kind of the same boat, right? Um, so, I mean, I think for sure we knew it was going to be gone. The Washington State game sealed his fate for me um, just by how he coached that game, just the softness of the way he coached that game. I think that's when the decision was officially made university-wide. I think for me it was when they punted on fourth down when they had the ball at Washington State's 36 yeah, yard line. Yeah, exactly. I, I left the game when that happened. There was nothing else to see there, to be honest. And Yeah, I mean, I, he, he gave up. 
on the season at that point for me. And so I, I think that sealed his coffin, but I, it was the Oregon State game, the way that went down, you could see how the rest of the season was going to play out. So nothing from that point forward surprised me. When Mac McIntyre said in his post-game press conference, the, the reason that they punted in that situation was because, well, if you get sacked, then you're at midfield. That's a defeatist attitude. And, it's, and you're, you're not going to beat a ranked team. How is that your assumption, for one? And two, you were already, you're down 10 points. You have to score 10 points in order to come back in the game. So who cares if you get sacked? The likelihood of them converting on that is, what, 30%? But at least that 30% gives you a chance. It's better than zero. Yeah. I mean, this, even if you, I mean, at that point, you could see the momentum turning in the game. We weren't scoring points. You could see Washington State just pinning their ears back, basically. Even if we had, you know, punted to the three-yard line, at the very least, Washington State probably flips the field there, and then you're going 90 yards. Yeah, if it doesn't work out, it's not great as a result. But guess what? Punting isn't great either. You have to score points at some point. So you might as well take it when the opportunity is staring you right in the face. Why do you think this program wasn't able to build on that 16 season under Mike McIntyre? Uh, there's a lot of drama surrounding the program. I think ultimately the main reason is the offensive line is soft. They didn't recruit well enough at that position or develop well enough at that position, whatever your argument may be. Uh, it's hard to continually be successful when you get blown off the line of scrimmage every single time you snap the ball. This is football. It's not basketball. It's not a, it's not a sport that, you know, it's, it's physical. That's the whole point of the game. And if you're getting beat at the point of attack every single play, it's tough to continually have success. Mike McIntyre did a good job of finding three-star guys that would go on to play like four-star guys, and he had good class depth. Kept there from being a lot of attrition. Guys at the end of those recruiting classes were the Kyle Trigo types that could at least come in and be special teams contributors. But to me, when I look at his recruiting classes, it was kind of that middle group, the group that didn't ascend to play out much better than their recruiting ranking. And so having a guy like Nick Fisher out there as a starter instead of being a backup type guy, to me it's that, that middle part of a recruiting class that, that can really, because you're going to have injuries in football. So right. instead of using that as an excuse, if you have that middle tier in there where you have a Nick Fisher step in instead of being your starter and kind of go down the line, they, there was just a tier that was off in terms of their depth in the program. Yeah, I mean, you talk about wide receivers. Obviously, there was a ton of injuries there this year, but we still had guys out there that made plays on the field despite that fact. That's what you need to see from a lot of your other positions on the field, especially the impact ones. It's tough to be weak at safety in terms of death because those guys get hurt every single year. It's tough to be weak at defensive line because those guys get hurt every year. It's tough to be, it's tough to be you know, short on depth on the offensive line as well because, again, those guys get hurt. Uh, even running back, which luckily we haven't had a whole lot of injury issues there in the last three or four years, but those are the positions you've got to have more than one guy who's capable of uh, you know, making an impact if he has to play on the field. What did you like about Mike McIntyre? Uh, he's a program builder. Uh, he didn't, you know, he came in and took this job and wanted to make this program successful and found guys in places that no one else was willing to go and took chances on recruits. And I thought he did a good job recruiting to his system, especially in the secondary, finding a lot of guys who ended up playing in the NFL. I think without a doubt, he made this program in a, it's, a, it's in a much better place than when he got here. And I'll appreciate that. Um, 
I think for the most part he handled himself pretty well, and you can tell by the reaction of the players in the program that they liked him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that you want to see. There wasn't a whole lot of rejoicing when McIntyre was gone amongst this roster. Um, and that's a good thing. I, I think he handled the situation with his son being on the team basically flawlessly. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... Except maybe he should have put him out there at punt returner this year. Yeah. Well, it yeah. was maybe anti-nepotism on some level as far yeah. as that goes. Yeah, for sure. That was... I mean, it, never, it didn't really bite us in terms of... We didn't lose a game because of it, I don't think. But, yeah, Ronnie, yeah. Ronnie was oh, a little yeah. bit of an adventure this year for sure. Well, you come back in the Cal game if you don't have those two botched punts yeah. in the, the first half. Maybe you can come back from that. Yeah, well, I guess that's true. I mean, throwing two pick sixes in the first two minutes doesn't help either, I guess, though. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there were things to like about it, but I think at the end of the day he just wasn't aggressive enough. He didn't take enough chances on the field. And he, he uh, you know, his approach helps you build a program. It's cautious. It's... Um, you know, time, you know, I guess staking, for lack of a better term, it's, he, he took his time, he didn't rush anything, and he didn't do anything super risky, and eventually he had himself a program that was serviceable on the field. They were going to compete more or less in every single game. But in order to take that next step, you have to be willing to take risks and do crazy things, and, you know, he wasn't willing to do that, and that's why we never beat a team we shouldn't have, for the most part, in his whole entire tenure. Perhaps his best recruiting job was bringing Katie Basin on staff with him at San Jose State. Uh, that was a program that was in total academic peril. They were had APR sanctions against them. She comes on board and follows him to Boulder, obviously. And, and now it's going to be a tough deal for her. Mike McIntyre, there's got to be some loyalty there. But yet, obviously, Colorado's AD and players and, and the recruits would love nothing more for, than for her to stay in Boulder. Uh, yeah. I think that's going to be a key piece for this program uh, in, in the next month or so that maybe people aren't going to be talking about. Yeah, I agree 100%. She's going to be huge to keep on board here. I, I think the one thing I'll probably say this is I would be surprised if McIntyre gets a head gig somewhere immediately. Really? Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll see what well, why opens not, up, though? Why wouldn't a Conference USA type program yeah. want to hire him? I'm sure he'll get looked at in some cases, but we'll see what opens up. I mean, we haven't heard of and Obviously, it's still pretty close. Know, to the end of the year, but we haven't seen a whole lot of stuff spring open yet, so we'll see how it plays out. But he's going to have to obviously get a head job for her to consider going there. When Mike McIntyre took over, they didn't have the facilities yet. He was taking over a program that finished dead last in, in the FBS and scoring margin the previous season. Just how much better is this program in terms of its footing for the next head coach? A lot, absolutely. There's not, not going to be a whole lot of built-in excuses for this next coach coming in, that's for sure. I mean, offensive line, you, you have to focus on one thing. If that offensive line even becomes serviceable, this team will win games. I feel pretty confident in that. I mean, most of our best players are back next year. Um, I would say four of our five best players are sophomores right now, so there, there isn't a whole lot of excuse, and, and for that I'll give McIntyre a ton of credit. There's an opportunity for this next coach to come in with brand new facilities and a beautiful stadium and a hungry fan base with a roster that has some success. Whoever this next coach is is not going to get six years to figure it out. Yeah. He better have it rolling between year two and year three or he's going to get some trouble. That's my opinion. Steven Montez most likely to come back, but has not definitively said, I am a Colorado Buffalo in 2019. Yeah. 
If he left now, where do you think he would get drafted, if at all? He would get drafted for sure because the quarterback class is extremely weak and he's going to look good once he gets out in workouts because he's so athletic and he throws the ball really well. Um, I, I'm not going to lie, though. He Six weeks into the year, he would have been a borderline first or second round pick uh, just because the rest of the quarterback class is so poor. Uh, but he struggled down the stretch. There's no way about it. I'm a Steven Montez guy. We all know that. But he was bad in the last three or four games of the year. Now, part of that is he's gun shot because he was getting destroyed every third time he dropped back to pass the ball. So that's part of it, too. But there's no doubt that he hurt this team in several games down the stretch. So that's not the last three games I would want on tape if I was going to the NFL. But we'll see how it plays out. If you were Steven Montez, would you leave for the NFL right now? No, no because I didn't, I didn't finish strong enough to, the, to have earned it in my opinion. What graduating seniors do you think will get drafted, if any? You know, Evan Worthington, we thought for sure, yeah. was going to be yeah. it. But He's been hurt. I mean, we'll, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Issues. It's hard to take a safety with concussion issues, though, especially in the NFL. Um, Drew Lewis? Yeah, Drew Lewis will have a chance. I mean, Javi maybe will have a chance just because he's such a huge body. We'll see. If, I mean, if he can get in shape, that'll help him a ton. Um, what about Trayvon McMillan? Uh, yeah, I think Trayvon, if I was to say who has the best chance right now, it would be, it would be Trayvon. I, I think just because he fits into how the NFL does things now. Uh, he's got enough juice. He's a great catcher of the ball out of the backfield. He's a willing blocker as well. So he does a lot of things well. I think he could be a special teams contributor in the NFL too. So to me, he's going to have a chance, whether he gets drafted or not, we'll see, but it'll definitely be um, as an undrafted free agent. I would think he'll get a pretty good shot. The dude rushed for over 1,000 yards with really bad offensive line right, play. Right, right. Imagine what he could have done with a, a solid group in front yeah, of him. And if they gave him the ball. I mean, it wasn't like he was getting 25 touches a game either. What about Jawan Winfrey? He's probably not, he's not going to get drafted, but yeah, he'll get a shot somewhere. I think the injury history is going to be the toughest thing for him to overcome. He just never really put stats on the football field, yeah. which is it's tough to draft somebody who's done that. Um, I'm totally, oh, Patrick Williams. I was blanking that I remember. It was a guy who ended up actually sticking around in the NFL for a couple of years on practice squads, and he was on the active roster a few times, and he also never really put stats on a football field in college. So it's possible, um, but Pat didn't have as many injury issues either, so... I hope it works out for Jawan because he's a great guy. I love his leadership, and if he had been healthy throughout his career, he would have been an NFL guy, but it's going to be tough at this point. Philip Lindsay, before we get on to the bus stampede mailbag, we got to talk about him. He's taking the NFL by storm at this point. I think he has the second-best yards per carry average in the entire NFL as a rookie. Yeah, and he's, I think, sixth in the league in rushing right now, or seventh maybe, and he's getting, like, 12 carries yeah. a game. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I can't say I'm surprised. I'm surprised he's good. Uh, I'm, obviously, I wasn't expecting him to be a top 10 running back right away. It's only because I wasn't expecting him to get this much usage. But, yeah, man, he's special. He's been special. He was always special, whether it's on the field or off. It's egregious to me that not one scout was like, we need to draft this kid. Like, absolutely egregious. That there are hundreds of scouts out there and not one was like, this kid is worth taking a chance on. And what's that, honestly the most annoying thing for me is that the Broncos are like humble bragging about the fact that they found him. It's like, no, you didn't find him. He was in your backyard the whole time. You drafted two running backs in front of him. You got lucky and he chose to come here because he's loyal to Denver. I mean, he had a million options on drafted free agents. 
play, and he should have been drafted by someone else. You're, you're basically you avoided disaster because if he had gone somewhere else as a late round pick, he would be doing this somewhere else too, yeah. and you would be looking like an idiot. Yeah. Well, he's certainly making the Broncos watchable, an otherwise fairly unwatchable team this season. Let's jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag. Jay Benny thirty three asked. What do you think happened with the play calling this year? It seemed the playbook was pretty limited and predictable and did not improve as the year went along. Was it all built around Chenault? Did we overuse him, causing him to be inevitably injured at some point? It seemed, especially on third downs, the call was always a screen or wildcat and the ball was rarely thrown downfield or past the sticks. I don't blame Colorado for, quote, overusing him. And right. the turf toe injury is kind of a fluke thing anyways. Yeah. That, that could really happen to anybody. Yeah, it's not like it, that's a ground-and-pound injury. Yeah. It's just you land wrong, and, you know, it's, it's just one of those deals. I mean, yes, you have a Heisman candidate in Colorado. You use him as much as possible, and he's built like a brick house. Okay? It's not like he's Philip Lindsay, who you get a little bit scared sometimes when he's getting 30 touches a game because he is not a huge guy. Yeah, <laughs> I would not want to tackle this fishing ball, so I'm not really sure that's a huge concern there. Well, he um, said the, it seemed like the playbook was pretty limited and predictable. It wasn't pretty predictable. It was very predictable. When you have Juwan Winfrey say in a press conference, players from the other team are calling out our plays before we snap the ball, that's a problem. Oh, uh, yeah, understatement of the century there. <laughs> um, it, usually it's not good when the entire fan base is on the same page by the end of the year about how trash your play calling has been. So, yeah, it was it was not good. Uh, it was not a good <laughs> debut for Darren Cheverini at all, which I think we're all pretty surprised by, honestly. The play calling this year was worse than last year, and that's really saying something, honestly. There wasn't any semblance of effort to make adjustments or go with something else or again you mentioned not throwing the ball past the sticks it's hard to get first downs if you never throw the ball past the first down marker just throwing it out there um but it is hard to throw the ball downfield when you have no protection absolutely um you know obviously the offensive line limits what you can do there's no doubt about that but the answer isn't keep doing exactly what we're doing because we know for a fact that wasn't working either yeah. so you have to try something else um, and there's too much talent on the field for us to be scoring seven points in back-to-back games. So it, it, it was frustrating, embarrassing, whatever you want to say. Now he's a rookie, and obviously the offensive line severely limited him, but not a good first season for Chef. Definitely. Can't I put, argue against it. Yeah, I put equal blame on the play calling and the offensive line. And there's also a little blame to be put on the receivers at times. There was, again, drop issues in, in critical moments, with that, especially in an Oregon State game. You blow that game out if you don't drop some balls. Yeah, I mean, that's also Chevrolet's unit as well, too. So it's not like you can really place the blame on somebody else there. So RDW Boulder had this to say, not exactly a question. It would be interesting to hear from some recent buffs who play on Sunday what they now think has held CU back. They have been exposed to players from other programs and may have an interesting perspective on what CU did well and what it needs slash needed to do better. Thanks for doing what you do so well. I don't know if Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman are sitting around debating what's going on in their former college programs. I don't know how much perspective you're going to really gain from that. Yeah, I think people, I mean, the NFL is a job, a, a job that you work 24 hours a day. They're probably running plays in their head while they're sleeping. Um, so yeah, they probably don't have time to figure out what's going on with their program. I'm not sure these guys have passion and they want them to be successful, but they don't have the answers. Um, 
you know, maybe former players, like we sorry to plug, but on Freeball, we had an interview with Daniel Graham that I thought was pretty interesting, and he talked about how important, obviously, bias perspective a little bit, at being a tight end, but he talked about how important the tight end was. And you can see in the NFL, it is a, a vital part of most offenses, even the ones that are scoring 40 points a game. So, um, you know, Travis Kelsey is on one of the best offenses of all time, and they use him about as much as anybody. So it can be done, and I think he would say that they have to get more active finding pass-catching tight ends who can also block. But there's a million different reasons why this program hasn't been successful, and if you asked all the players, they would give you a different one. I don't yeah. think it would be one consistent thing that would be pointed at. Buffin DC asked, when did you start hearing Mike McIntyre's job was on the line? Well, I do know that Rick George was not happy after 2017, taking a step back, not going to a bowl game, not building on that momentum, especially uh, with Mike McIntyre just getting a pretty substantial raise in, in contract extension. Losing their last three games of the year, too. Yeah, so there was certainly pressure on Mike McIntyre coming into the season. Then you go 5-0, and and all that goes out the window, and then it just it quickly turns on you. Certainly after the Oregon State game, it was... The writing was starting to be starting to, to be on the wall at that point, but even at that point, Rick George was in a situation. Well, let's see how these guys respond. You go out to Arizona, you blow them out, and you get some of that mojo back. Mike McIntyre maybe saves his job, but yeah, I mean they still had four opportunities to find a way at that point. But it was after Washington State. It was he's not coming back, and then the report. The same night uh, that Troy Rank's report came out, I had heard from unsolicited from a couple people that led me to say out loud, "Okay, I'm c- covering a coaching search this offseason." It was clear that yeah. that night, even before that report came out, I'm in a situation where that's not enough for me to run with. The whole thing about that report is it was the writing was on the wall, so it wasn't exactly like going out on a limb. Yeah, and. You know, like, he didn't have information about when it was happening. It was just happening. Like, anybody could have wrote that piece. You know, like, it was, unless he won both games, or probably both games down the stretch, that piece is going to become correct. So, yeah. So, it is what it is, I guess. What was your reaction to Mike McIntyre's final press conference where he mentioned that, that his ability to leave for three other places after the 16th season? Did, did that get under your skin? Yeah. I don't care. You chose to stay here. You said you wanted to be here. Like You had success. We all get that. Other places could have taken you. That's fine. That doesn't give you the right to keep your job here if you haven't earned it. You can't go 0-10 in games to clinch bowl eligibility and lose to one of the worst teams in the country with a 28-point cushion and make decisions down the stretch of a season when your job is on the line and still turtle and not do anything worthy of risk just like eh, we you know this is 1970s football it's fourth down we punt like sorry dude i don't care that you could have gone to duke or wherever it may be i don't care you didn't deserve your job here anymore nippus 13 asked who is the starting running back in 2019 jaron mangum josiah davis Dion smith jerick broussard alex fontenot or bo bishrat will there be a thousand yard rusher in that group we already know Tyler's answer here, but I'll let you go first anyways. My answer is not Bo Bisharat. <laughs> can we stop with that now? Are we officially at the point where people can stop pretending that he's going to be productive on this football team? Or Well, depending. I mean, I'll if Darian Hagan is on staff, I still think he's going to be part of the rotation next year. 
No? Alex Vaughn, though, is the starter next year, most likely. <laughs> Deion Smith will probably play a bunch. I think they might try to go after a grad transfer again, obviously. A Trayvon McMillan is tough to come yeah, by. Yeah, they don't fall in your lap right. every offseason. Yeah, uh, maybe a Juco sure. guy is a potential possibility as well here. We'll see how it plays out. But um, I think Fontenot's flashed enough. He, he obviously disappointed me this year. I thought he was going to get a lot more run, but Trayvon had a lot to do with that as well. Um, but I thought when he did play, and, and from what we saw, he looked still confident. So I, I think people were concerned about his blocking, if he can work on that and get a little bit bigger. I'd still say he's probably the leader in the clubhouse for me. Now, running back is a position. You can come in as a true freshman and play. If you for get sure. down some of the pass protection stuff, it's such an instinctual position. I mean, I certainly wouldn't put it past a, a Jaron Mangum or a Josiah Davis, who's Josiah's going to be an early enrollee. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. He has about a 1,000-yard rusher in that group, maybe at some point in their career, but I would doubt that's going to happen in 19. It's probably more of a rotation at, at that position. Yeah. Blue Sky Buff asked, who is the starting quarterback in 2020? And D. Howe 888 asked, seriously, who's the backup? Neither one of those backups this year looked quite ready. A fair criticism. Is 20, we're talking 2020 is not assuming Ma- coming Montez, year, year. Yeah, assuming Montez comes back. Uh, no, I think he's talking about two years from now, isn't he? Or yeah, is he yeah, talk- yeah. Okay. yeah. It doesn't matter if Montez comes back next year. You're putting odds on it. Tyler Idol's yeah. probably the... Yeah, and he's the most ready. Even though he struggled the one time he got extended minutes, you can see the athleticism is there. He threw a couple nice balls. Now he had a fumble in the pouring snow, obviously, that you don't want to see. But, I mean, it's... I don't think people realize how important timing is at the quarterback position. Like, most backups can't just come in and... Even Montez struggling in those situations. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you get Tyler Lytle, they're going to make a decision probably pretty early on who's going to be replacing Montez down the line. And you would assume that he'll have reps all spring and all fall camp. And usually those guys tend to look a lot more serviceable at that point once there's a lot of continuity. I heard that uh, Blake Stenstrom looks good on scout team. Obviously, it's one thing running scout team and being a contender for Yeah, I mean, that would be a pleasant surprise because from what we saw in fall camp, he he was definitely not ready this year. Ty Evans is is verbally committed. We'll see if he sticks with that pledge. I'd like Uh, to see him get a little bit heavier before we start relying on him to play, though. Ty Evans? Yeah. Yeah. So, there's some arm talent there, but yeah, there's definitely some concern about that position going forward without question. BR Buff asked, what are your thoughts about starting offensive and defensive lines for next year? So offensive line, you only lose Josh Kaiser. You'd assume Frank Phillip is going to step into a role. If Jake Moretti is healthy, he's a guy that you'd like to see win a starting job. Uh, and one guy that hasn't been mentioned a lot that I've heard has done really well and has a bright future is Casey Roddick. Big dude. So okay. I, think, I think that's kind of your – those three guys – one of them, I think Philip will probably jump into starting role. Yeah. And Ken and Ray. Ken and Ray. Kerry Kutch, I guess we've heard a little bit about them having some potential as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're returning four starters, but geez, man. I mean, would you be – it would be a point of contention if everybody came back and started next year for me. I mean, for the most part, O-linemen aren't improving enough from year to year. I, I can't – I mean, if, we, if all those guys are starting next year, I'm going to be concerned for sure. There's a lot of youth there, though. Yeah. I mean, there is, for sure. And like Will Sherman, you got to like his for sure. future. Well, I don't think well, no one really mentioned Will Sherman as the problem this year at the beginning. And you didn't hear a whole lot of issues with Will Sherman or, you know, 
I, I guess I won't name names, but it's the same three guys are the ones that you heard about more often than not. So that's where your improvement's going to happen. Defensive line, you bring back Israel Antoine and Mustafa the Beast Johnson. Uh, you lose Javier Edwards in there. After yeah. the game, after the Cal game, Mustafa Johnson was talking about the future, and he mentioned Jalen Sammy as a big dude that he expects to, to step yeah. in there at nose tackle. And I thought Lyle was fine. As a backup, though, I don't know if you want year. him to be your starter. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have a little more of a rotation. You're probably going to ask Antoine to play some nose next year as well as he gets bigger. I mean, if you could get Mustafa Johnson, Israel Antoine, and Terrence Lane as your three guys down, you're going to have, I mean, obviously, you want that in a more passing down situation, but that's a lot of athleticism along that front. And if you got guys in third and long, you're going to be, creating some issues, I would think, in that formation. So, yeah, you don't have a Javier Edwards next year, but I think that you can find guys to make some match, and especially if Sammy can jump in and take that role, you feel really good about the D-line this year, definitely. As long as he's healthy, healthy there's no one taking Mustafa Johnson's job, but Terrence Lane could maybe battle with Antoine a little bit, at least yeah. in terms of getting more reps. Yeah, I think they'll play together a lot, like I said, and I think they'll probably bounce, you know, bounce back and forth a little bit too. And they're going to keep Mustafa, Mustafa fresh too. So he'll, he'll sit some plays out in favor of those guys also. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I would feel about as comfortable as the talent in that group as almost anything in general this year, besides maybe wide receiver. Elrod asked, which recruits will see you have to battle the hardest to keep? Which coaching hire gives the Buffs the best chance to reel the best in-state 2020 players, Atterbury, Carson Lee, Aiden K from Mullen? I would say, don't worry about which coach is going to recruit the best in-state recruits. Worry about which coach is going to recruit best overall. I'm kind yeah. of often the, the in-state recruiting hater just because I don't think the state produces that much talent. Yeah, I will, I will say, though, the one thing that's continually been frustrating for me is every year a dude from Colorado gets drafted from the O-line that plays somewhere else. <laughs> that's true. So it would be really nice if maybe we got a guy from Colorado that got drafted from the O-line for once. All right. So I'll take I'll take that for <laughs> sure. <laughs> Hardest to keep on board, unfortunately, for Colorado. A couple of the guys already decommitted. Detona Jackson and Don Chapman were a couple of the guys I was highest on in this recruiting class. Yeah. Uh, I think Don Chapman is wazoo bound. It's going to be really hard for them. Really yeah, I mean, back at this point. I would. It's hard to really blame him either. You know, I mean, Don Chapman going to Washington State. It's a good fit for what they do defensively. They've had a lot of NFL safeties. Um, and each play is an interesting brand of defense, a lot of blitz packages and stuff. So to me, it's a good mix, and they're very good. Uh, it's hard to really make that argument, especially given the turmoil that we've been a part of. It is a bummer, though, because he was one of my favorite guys in the class. He wants us to give, um, which other recruits, Ty Evans maybe? But quarterback, it's tough to, to switch this late in the game. Most other programs already have their guy. Yeah, I mean, someone would find a spot for Ty Evans if they really wanted to. I think Jaron Mangum will be a little bit of a test, probably. I feel like Braden Huffman Dixon's about as solid as every as anyone, and Terry Gluckett too. So that's kind of surprising to me, honestly. Those two guys seem pretty um, locked in. Uh, Mark Perry would be a guy that you really want to keep. Yeah. The fold. We haven't heard a ton about that lately. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Well, you got Cameron Johnson, who's already said he's going to visit some other schools, has an yeah. offer from Texas Tech. So that's going to be a tough guy yeah. to hold most on play, to. Most of the in-state guys have not really wavered. I, there's not a whole lot of other guys that I'm really worried about. Even if we lose most of the rest of the staff, I think you can replace those guys with other staff. Okay. 
All right, let's move along to the next question. Reed J asked, any general behind the scenes color on things you could share that happened during Mac's tenure that we would find interesting? Maybe a favorite interaction you had in private with him or if he was very close to Bolton in 2016. The real dynamic between him and Levitt, if him and Rick truly got along slash he was never his guy. Fun random question for each of you. What is the one location for a CU bowl game you are dying to go cover? Here's the hoping our next head coach turns CU into Bama, so subscriptions go 10 times what they are now and you can live the dream. <laughs> yeah, I could deal with 10, 10 times more subscribers. That'd be fun. I could deal with being Bama. <laughs> Sounds nice. I'm sure some general behind the scenes things will naturally come out. Um, one thing when he talks about favorite interaction after they beat Nebraska this year, the hallway that went right by the locker room to the post-game press conference, I was walking down that, and McIntyre came in there just screaming at the top of his lungs, ran up, gave me a big bear hug and a high five, and said, how about that win, Adam? That was, that was a fun moment. Yeah, it all went down. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to imagine that, going from that trip, how much fun that was, to winning the first two conference games, so here we are today. Yeah. Colorado football, never, you always keep it on your toes, I guess. He wanted to know about the real dynamic between him and Levitt. The interaction between those two guys was not great. When you have Jim Levitt complaining that the head coach is in your defensive meetings, Mike McIntyre is a defensive guy. He's a head coach. Of course he's going to be in your meetings sometimes. And the fact that Jim Levitt would sometimes tell the players, don't worry about what Mike McIntyre says, that's not a good dynamic on a, on a, on a coaching staff. No, it's not. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Levitt is always going to be, I'm a head coach guy. You know, no matter what his role on a football team is. And obviously on a personality level, those two could not be more opposite. So uh, it's no real surprise that they didn't get along great. Levitt is a strong personality, so I don't think it's a total shock that people would not get along with him. With Rick George, I think he wanted Mike McIntyre to succeed. I don't think it was ever a case where I can't wait for the second I can fire him because yeah, you know, he, good for anyone. Yeah, and he even said, you know, he wouldn't regret giving him the contract extension based on 16. You had to do that in this yeah. situation. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, to be fair, I think McIntyre earned it at that point. He had brought a program from the ashes up to one of the most respectable in the country that year. Now, it certainly didn't pan out, but that's life. I mean, you sometimes have to make gambles that go poorly. He, I, I, mean, I can't speak for Rick George, but if I was him, I wouldn't like the way Mike McIntyre kind of handled some of the questions about his future Absolutely. and talked about how, well, we haven't talked in a couple weeks, but we'll just keep that stuff internal. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I, I, they, I, I'm not going to sit here and say I know for sure that they didn't get along, but there's enough writing on the wall to say that their relationship certainly wasn't perfect by any stretch. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a lot of turmoil, obviously. <laughs> in the program within their time frame and there's a lot of stress involved so that's part of it too and Rick George expects big things and we never really quite got there and the one time we did get there there was a huge scandal involved so not exactly the greatest relationship ever and uh, you know they both want to be successful though I, I agree with you I don't think Rick George was like I need him to fail so I can fire him I think he wanted him to be a stud and yeah. that makes everyone look better what road game are you dying to go to? Or, I'm sorry, bowl game as well he wanted to oh, know about. Oh, I was like, I don't know. Uh, I've always wanted to go to Fiesta Bowl for whatever reason. Okay. I think that would be cool. 
Um, I've been to the Las Vegas Bowl, but not for CU, obviously. The Las Vegas Bowl, I can honestly say, sucks. <laughs> they played at Sam Boyd, right? <laughs> yeah. Which is basically yeah. a dump. There was like 12 people there. It was USC was playing, I think it was Boston College, maybe. And it was one of the worst games I've ever seen. So I think I'm good on that one, honestly. I go to Vegas enough as it is. Um, the one in San Diego is what the Holiday, Holiday Bowl, Bowl yeah. Center or whatever, Holiday Bowl. Yeah, that would be a ton of fun. Because I haven't been to San Diego as an adult, so I would, oh, I would okay. enjoy that. I grew up in Phoenix, so you'd escape the heat by getting in your car driving. I think it's about six hours to San Diego. And yeah, as an adult, I haven't gone out there a lot. And it's, I don't know if I'd want to live there. Cops are living and people are eh, a little pretentious, but uh, I love that city. So a holiday bowl would be up there as well. I kind of wanted to go to, Brian Howell and I kind of wanted to go to the, cover the Cheez-It Bowl this year. There's, Where is the Cheez-It Bowl? It's in Phoenix. Okay. Cool, I'm in. I don't, bowl games that I'm not clamoring to go to are the Sun Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, the Independence Bowl. No. Which is in uh, Shreveport, I believe. That no, is no the thank you. second to last bowl game that Colorado's played in, yes. sadly. Yes. And the other one was uh, in San Antonio, which while being out of Shreveport, I wouldn't exactly put on my list of amazing locations. Yeah, the Riverwalk's fun, though. Yeah, you can do it for one day, and then you got to do it for another day, and then you got to do it for the <laughs> third day. And then you got to do it for a fourth day, and then you watch your team lose by 40, and then you're ready to go. <laughs> that was my experience. <laughs> CT Buff asked, rank the recently opened Power 5 jobs best to worst. Colorado, Kansas, Texas Tech, North Carolina, Louisville, Maryland. Uh, probably North Carolina won best job out of there. ACC. Really? Okay. No? I would put Maryland first. Okay. I, I, it's close. Yeah, North Carolina for me is an interesting one. I, I honestly, I bounce back and forth between having them extremely low and extremely high, only because they don't have a ton of football success and it's a basketball situation. Sure. So I mean, you're always going to be second fiddle there, um, in the middle of basketball country. I don't think your fan base is ever really going to support you fully. I don't know. To me, it's. I mean, there's obviously. You're in a decent recruiting hotbed, but it's never going to be considered the school of North Carolina. So for me, I'd put North Carolina pretty well. Not lower than Colorado and Texas Tech, would you? I would probably put it right in line with Colorado, and I would put Texas Tech above them for sure. Yeah, obviously Boulder is much nicer than Lubbock, but at Texas Tech you have the recruiting Texas. base right in your backyard. Texas, yeah. I mean, that's all they care about there is football. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you can get guys out of Texas easily, even though it's a dump. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, Texas Tech would be a month, probably number two for me on this list behind Maryland. Okay, so let's go Maryland one. You say Maryland one, Texas Tech two. I'm going to say at least North Carolina third. I would, have, I would have Louisville third, North okay. Carolina fourth. Colorado fifth? Colorado, or no, sorry, Colorado fourth, North Carolina fifth, Kansas. Okay. Kansas is obviously at the bottom. They're yeah. always going to take a back seat to Bill Self in the right. basketball program. Yeah, and that's part of my concern with North Carolina as well. They've obviously had more success, but again, a lot of that was sanctions ridden. So, I mean, if the only way you're ever going to be good is by getting all of your wins vacated and all your scholarships taken away every 10 years. Is it really worth it? Colorado asked, how important is this hire for C football in your opinion? Mike McIntyre did turn the program around and ideally the next head coach will continue to move the needle in a positive direction. But what if we drop the ball and see an Embry slash Hawkins level of hire? How far would that set the program back? For eternity? I mean, they'd be bad for 20 years in a row at that point. It's, 
hard to come back from it's that. Tough, yeah. I mean, the perception's already out there that Colorado's a bottom dweller in the Pac-12. You have more seasons where that's it. yeah. If you have more seasons that that's the case. Uh, it's just hard to dig yourself out of that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's very important because you know I don't think you have to be a top twenty-five program, but you got to be respectable. You got to be making a bowl at least every other season. Um, you know, it's, that's not the reputation you want. And why would kids continue to want to go there if they know they're not going to get to do any of this fun stuff at the end of the season and get their name out there across the country, which is a totally different discussion as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you got to get it right, I think. Otherwise, there's a pretty good chance we're not going to be paying close attention to football for most of the rest of our adult lives. BTV Uffs asks, number one, five most important commits that the new coach must keep on board. We'll start with that one. Um, I think you'd probably say Ty Evans. Yeah, Ty Evans, Jaron Mangum, Mark Perry. Uh, Braden Huffman Dixon, probably Joshua Island. I wouldn't put Braden Huffman Dixon up there. Honestly. Okay. I, I don't. I'm not as sold on him. The fifth one would be maybe Titus Toller for me. Okay. Probably would be my five. Name Rodman seems like he's solid on board, but you got to sign some defensive lineman this cycle, and he's yeah. the only one on there right now. All right, his second question was, how important do you feel recruiting ties to California and Texas are for Rick George when looking at candidates? Definitely important. You could theoretically have a head coach without those ties as long as his staff has them, though, if he's a dynamic for recruiter sure. in terms of a personality. Yeah, Because they're not out on the road a ton anyway. Right, most head coaches, like, their ability to recruit is super overrated to me. They, most of them don't handle that. Some of them obviously do, especially the big ones, like, People go and play for Urban Meyer and Nick Saban, but they're not actively recruiting these guys either. They're going to play for Urban Meyer because he is successful at a huge program. He's not going out there and being like, rah, rah, rah. That's what his staff does. So unless you're one of those guys, I don't think it's as big of a deal. I think you have to be an energetic personality, but in terms of being able to land recruits, it's not really the head coach's role. He also asked, do you have a preference as far as offensive-minded or defensive-minded head coach, if all things equal? No, I guess I really don't. It's more of a personality and regional fit for me. Part of me wants to say offensive-minded just because I actually want to see some points scored and cover a team that moves the football and gets the ball into the end zone. I think, I think for me, it's, I guess I would lean defense only because I think offense can be controlled by the staff of the head coach more easily than the defense. I think defense is a mindset. So if you're if your head coach is a defensive minded guy, you're that's gonna be a mindset of your football program, but you can still have an offensive staff that allows you to have success on that end. I, I wouldn't say that the opposite is true. Okay. Blue Sky Buff asked, was less miles a possibility? He was a possibility, but he was not gonna be their top priority, their yeah. top target. And he had already kind of gone down the road with Kansas enough at that point where if Colorado's not going to make me a priority, okay, I'll go there. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he's going to Kansas kind of tells you where his interest level was around the country. If, I mean, honestly, if Kansas was smart, they should have waited two weeks and hired Mike McIntyre. It would have been a perfect fit. He's a program builder. I, mean, I can't imagine Les Miles having the patience to go through this level of a rebuild. And his, his initial press conference wasn't exactly inspiring. <laughs> so I think we probably dodged a bullet on that one. 
fumble over our words and then come out with. He didn't even fumble over them. Things. <laughs> he didn't say words for like in a minute. <laughs> Catnip lover four twenty asks, "Do you know anything about the offers from the three good schools that Mac turned down to stay at CU? Any sense of it? Of if Mac sits out a year or pursues a different coaching opportunity? If so, what kind of job? Was Mac ever specifically asked by the admin to move on from Bernardi or Clayton Adams?" Um, do you th we'll start with this. Do you think McIntyre sits out a year or he jumps right into a different coaching I don't see enough spots for him to get a job this year, but he might go be a coordinator somewhere if he wants. I don't know. I think he could sit out a year. With McIntyre... He's got the money. Yeah. I, I mean, his kids are out of the house. There's not like he's got young kids at home that he wants to experience that. You know, we saw Ross Ellis take a year off from coaching just to hang out with his, his uh, son who was in high school. I don't think that's the case. Um, I think coaching's in his blood. I'd be surprised if he's not coaching next year. In terms of other jobs, um, Los Angeles Rams were actually interested in him after 16. But a lot of this stuff is Jimmy Sexton's trying to leverage stuff for a better contract for him. I don't know how real those other opportunities were. Yeah, I mean... I think obviously Ole Miss was at the very least snooping around on him for sure. He could have gone somewhere after 16. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but don't take then, that away from the guy. Yeah, but since then I'd say probably not. In terms of whether he was asked by the admin to move on, um, you know, he would meet with the AD after the season, and they had certain recommendations. In some cases, McIntyre said, look, I want to give Jim Jeffcoat another year. I want to give Toby Nice another year. You know, to McIntyre's credit, he did make some tough decisions, but I think the criticism with a lot of them is they were maybe a year, a year later, later yeah, yeah, than they should have been. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I can't remember any situation where it's like, do we take a chance on this guy for one more year? And then we did, and it panned out. I mean, do you feel that way? No, not I really. I can't really. You know, like, everyone that we were like, yeah, it's time, somehow ended up getting an additional year and then being let go. And, I mean, I think, it's, I think his real downfall was... To make Chevrolet and Clayton Adams your two coordinators, right after you promote a guy who is beating his wife for a bowl game, and you're giving a guy who had Clayton, Clayton Adams, who had the worst unit on the entire football team, a promotion in order to be your offensive coordinator. I mean, that's that's how you lose jobs. I mean, that decision ended his job. Ralphie's running asked on a scale of one to Jenna Jameson, how f is this football team? I don't know if Jenna Jameson would be my choice for a 10. A little too fake looking for me. Yeah, I would agree. Not my... <laughs> but let's assume, who, who's your 10? Maybe he's just saying she's the most fucked person on the planet. Effed person. Oh, okay. Okay, I read that differently then. Sorry for the swearing. This is free ball and my apologies. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that was how I read it. <laughs> The most run through, can we put that on? Sure, Buffing sure. Me? Okay. Um, I would say not that. Three? Okay. What would you say? Assuming Montez comes back, probably a three. If he leaves, it's the quarterback situation is a little dicier than I want to have it as a head coach coming in. Yeah, although I will say, if there's one position you can pretty much get in a grad transfer market, it's quarterback. Okay. There's like 25 a year that you can... How many of those guys really pan out? Though? I don't know. Gardner Minshew certainly would have been nice. Just throwing that out there. Um, I mean, I don't know. Jared Stidham at Auburn has been very good. Um, 
there's there's other guys. Uh, Will Greer was not a grad transfer. He just transferred, but he's been certainly very good as well. There's another one out there that I should be pulling off the top of my head that I'm forgetting. But there's there's been a couple of guys who have come in and had success right away. A reminder that Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by Everpillow by Infinite Moon. These guys are huge Buffs fans. These amazing pillows are made here in Colorado. They were even highlighted on CBS Denver News recently. Not only are they great pillows, but they help employ felons, addicts, and homeless. Great pillows with a great purpose. Fully customizable pillows for every sleep style. Just add or remove the natural field to get the pillow exactly how you want. No chemicals, memory foams, cheap polyfoams, all natural and ridiculously comfortable. Support a Colorado company that loves the Buffs and makes an amazing product. Save 10% now at infinitemoon.com and use GoBuffs in the cart. Always free and 100 day risk-free trial. Everpillow by Infinite Moon. Made by us in Colorado, perfected by you. Infinitemoon.com. Liz is sleeping with an Everpillow for the last week and her back pain is actually legitimately, this isn't just making this up for the radio, has reduced from sleeping at weird angles. She's a side sleeper, perfect angle if you keep all the fill in there. If you're a back sleeper like me, less fill in there, gets you the proper uh, alignment. Yeah, I actually brought it. I was in Omaha for Thanksgiving. Really exciting. Got to sleep on the floor of the hotel room. I brought that pillow as well, and it made it tolerable. So, every pillow, shout out. All right. Again, infinitemoon.com. Support those guys. They, they've been supporting the podcast, and we really appreciate it. All right, let's move a little bit into some, some of the names out there in the coaching search. Rich George is keeping a tight lid on the search. I almost feel like he's doing the opposite of keeping a tight lid on. He's just he's sending out hourly texts. All right, everybody say this person's the guy. I can guarantee you he's not. <laughs> what what candidates on our latest hot board on Buff Stampede are you most intrigued with, Tyler? Um, I would say there's two for sure that are way above the pack for me, and it's Ryan Day and Jimmy Lake. Um, I think I don't know if this to be a first fact, but I feel I, I mentioned Jimmy Lake pretty early on in this situation, and I hadn't seen him mentioned before. So he's been a guy that I have had my eye on for a while. Um, I just love the type of football that his defense plays: physical, aggressive, athletic. Um, he knows how to get secondary guys as well. Um, I, I think he's. To me, in my limited experience of obviously seeing him interact with people, he seems like a good leader and a guy who fits into the Pac-12 footprint really well, so I like him a lot. Ryan Day, for me, would be my number one. Everybody that's ever been around him has nothing but positive things to say. He has an explosive offense, um, and to me, he just seems like a winner, a guy that would come in right away. It doesn't matter what his recruiting ties are. That's a name that's been huge. I mean, Ohio State does not want him to leave. That says all there is. I kind of, kind of hate the term home run hire just because it's thrown out there at these guys' introductory press conference and they haven't coached a damn football game yet, but would those guys be, quote, home run hires in your opinion? Yeah. But I don't think... Are they be, the only two that I, you no, give that to? No, I don't think so. I don't think he'd be the only two. But again, I, I've talked about this at the start of the show. I don't think home run hire means anything because no one has any clue how it's going to shake out. But yes, I mean, the perception nationally would be that that would be a very good hire for Colorado. I don't necessarily think they're going to go the group of five route, but Seth Luttrell is my favorite coach in those ranks without yep. question. I think it's time for him to get a power five opportunity. He's got, aside from being a group of five head coach right now, his history before this is all in power conference schools. Mm-hmm. He's got Pac-12 history. Uh, he's 40 years old. Yeah, he's focused in Texas, which, uh, you know, 
I think to me, honestly, having strong recruiting ties in Texas is even more important than California for this program, which might seem weird, but I, that's how I feel about the situation. I think just, I don't want to go too much into it, I guess, but I think guys in Texas are more likely to have success at this level. All right. Let's jump into some coaching search-related fan questions. Black and Gold Josh asked, on a scale of 1 to 10, how disappointing will it be if the hire is Jim Levin? Would that mean that the other top candidates passed on CU? On that note, who would be your most surprising, slash amazing, and most surprising slash bad hire? Let's just work our way back on this question. Most surprising bad hire, in my opinion, would be Lane Kiffin. Gary Barnett. Well, that's not happening. When I first heard that right away, I was like, dude, if this happens, I'm out. Um, there was another one the other day that, man, who was that? Yeah, Lane Kiffin it would not be on that level for me, but it does seem a little weird. Like, that's kind of the opposite of what this program probably needs right now. Um, really bad. Uh, Mark Kelfrich would be pretty awful. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'd be really pissed off if that was the answer, probably. The most surprising slash amazing hire. Uh, I mean, I think we already talked about the guy. I mean, maybe outside, like, with it, that aren't would, even in the would realm. Would Dino Babers be that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, that would be a big, Dana one, for, a big one for me. I See, I don't like, I mean, like, Holgerson would be nice, and if he ended up with us, that would be awesome. But I don't see him as being that far above everybody else to me. And then, uh, on a scale of one to ten, how disappointing would be would be the hire if it's Jim Levitt? Um, I I don't know if I talked myself into Jim Levitt, but I was surprised when he got brought up legitimately that I was like, I don't know, honestly, this checks a lot of boxes. The one thing that I really like about it is he's been here. He knows how things work. He has relationships with some of the guys on this team. He was a recruiter for a lot of the guys on this team. Um, and honestly, the defense got a lot better while I was here. I think he's a better coach in a head coaching capacity. I think that's where he truly should be in terms of where can he be most successful. Um, I think he has uh, ties with coaches that have had success here in the past that he might be able to bring back. Uh, he understands the issues surrounding Boulder. Um, you know, I, I would be, I was surprised how comfortable I would be with it when I really sat really? down and okay. thought about it. I'm not there with you. I don't. I think they could do much worse than Jim Levitt, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I don't think he would be in my top. Definitely wouldn't be in my top three. He'd probably be somewhere around five. For really? Me. Yeah. I think there's definitely five better options out there. Uh, I don't know. I and part of that maybe is just again how divisive he was on the staff, and maybe I need to let go of some of that stuff because if he is a head coach, then he's calling the shots, and there's not that animosity between a coordinator and a yeah. coach like there was when he was on staff. Um, I, I don't know if he's organized enough for me. I heard stories of how you know, Mike Magdar is very detail-oriented. That was one of his best qualities. Uh, one of the things, I didn't mention this earlier, the things that I really respected about him as a head coach. So they would have these really planned out recruiting trips. Jim Levitt would just sometimes just kind of go off and do his own thing. And then you're having to apologize to coaches and recruits because he missed an appointment. I don't know. That just doesn't scream like a great quality for me in a head coaching candidate. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly part of it. But I think part of that is they just didn't get along great. He's like, this, you know, I think he thinks he's a head coach. And you know, once yeah. you're in that role, some of that stuff can kind of self-correct a little bit. Yes, I mean, he's definitely a divisive guy. And 
it would be risky. His age doesn't worry me, me just because he doesn't act like his, right. his age. And yeah, that's, <laughs> everyone's reading into that Rick George quote, young and energetic. I think that has a lot more to do with the energetic aspect of it than the age aspect of it. It is really, it's one of those ages of mindset things. I think if you find an older guy who's energetic and can connect with the players, he's not going to overthink that situation. Yeah. And look at UMC, they just hired Mac Proud. Yeah, I'm going to take a pass on that. <laughs> Buff Predictor asked, who is going to be the new head coach? Please evaluate based on merits of his slash her previous body of work. <laughs> BP suggesting there might be uh, the first female head coach in FBS history. Us, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen probably <laughs> if I had to guess, but someday it will happen for sure. Um, I don't know the answer to this. There's too much smoke in here. It's hard to really say. I mean, if you had to say who the most likely candidate was, man. It seems like the most buzz right now is with Ryan Day, Jimmy Lake, and Derek Mason. But, yeah. again, that doesn't necessarily – don't take – take that to the bank and deposit it at this point. Right, yeah, I mean, I think probably Derek Mason's, that's just the newest one, so I'm probably having recency bias here, but it, it does seem to have the most recent juice, but that could honestly mean he is not even being considered, so <laughs> who, who really knows? I mean, it's, I, I won't speculate, and I won't have, I probably won't have too strong of thoughts on anybody, honest because okay. I really am of the mindset it's a wait and see thing because there's just too much you, you just never know how it plays out I know Jim Mora wants the, the job I don't know how realistic a candidate he is I think they could do much worse than Jim Mora for sure absolutely they could do much worse but I still I still would think that that's kind of a retread I wouldn't love it I would like it as much as Derek Mason. I think you disagree with me. Yeah, I do, for sure. I, I would like Derek Mason more. Um, I, I don't. Jim Mora would be in my top ten. I, mean, okay. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hate it for sure. I just, just the, all the stuff that was surrounding him as UCLA fell apart was rough. And the one thing that I really don't like him about him is UCLA was soft when he was the head coach. That's not all the time. They, they got soft at the end. He actually worked really hard to try to change that early on and, and had some success. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't like the reputation of that football team by the time he was done. So that would be my biggest concern there. What about Jeff Tedford? Uh, no. I do, I do think Jeff Tedford has done a great job at Fresno, and he's a good coaching candidate. I don't think he's a good fit for what we're trying to do here. I think we need a younger guy. All right, moving along. Dort09 asked, when the new head coach is hired, are CU fans more likely to be excited or disappointed? disappointed because it's CU fans and they always are. <laughs> I think it's just kind of inevitable. Everybody thinks that we're going to be hiring Urban Meyer all the time. So I, I, I just am using past experience and I'm going to say that most people will find some reason to be upset. Ellie Buff asked, which coaches do you think stay on staff and when the when is the Bernardi retirement party? Uh, two years ago. Come on now. That's pretty. That's pretty cool, Tyler. Okay, well, whatever. Um, which coaches stay? I think. I think the three that deserve the most of a shot is definitely Kurt Roper, Ross Ells, and Cheverini in a different role. Um, I would like to see Shadon Brown and Quan Drake have a shot. The other guys on the staff 
I would not lose sleep over probably. I think best case scenario, Ryan Day is your head coach. He's your play caller, or at least has a heavy role in that. Darren Cheverini stays on board. Yeah. And can kind of keep that coordinator title, still make yeah, similar money. And yeah, yeah, for sure. Quan Drake, it, it's tough to answer this question in terms of which coaches I think will stay because based on which coach is hired, if it's yeah. Derek Mason, he's going to have more of a staff coming with him. Yeah, CJ IU, who's a defensive line coach at Vanderbilt, is a stud and will obviously replace Quan Drake if that happens. So it depends a little bit on yeah. who you're bringing with you. With Ryan Day comes, he's going to need more of He's going to have less of a staff coming with him, obviously. Right. He's not bringing the Ohio State Buckeyes coaching staff with him. Yeah, yes, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> and similar with Jimmy Lake, he's not poaching Chris Peterson assistants. Those guys are uh, on the track that he is to get a head coaching job there. Um, you know, I, I don't know if DJ Elliott, I think most likely he's not back. I think he did a really solid job as the defense yeah. coordinator this year. I agree. I think he's been probably more solid than expected with this program. I certainly I have no ill will towards what he's done. I like how he's coached these guys. I think he's put in a really bad position in a lot of games in his two years here. Um, but I, if, if your new head coach can't bring on someone with a little more gumption than DJ Elliott, I think that's a little bit of a concern. Shadon Brown has proven to be a really good recruiter. I think he would be a guy you'd like to see stick around. Um, Rossell is, is really liked by the players. Yeah, and I think he, he's he's in the perfect role. I don't think he wants to be anywhere above that role. He did a really nice job, I thought. The players like him. Recruiting-wise, he seems to do a sneaky good job as well. I, I would be surprised if he wasn't retained because I think he's there's a little bit of continuity from old staff to new there in a position that's not super divisive and isn't gonna take up a bunch of you know up and coming you know guys on your staff that you want to bring in. I, I think that's a really smart guy to keep on staff. I'd be surprised if he's not retained. Just for the sake of discussion here, let's say Ryan Day is hired. He keeps Darren Cheverini on board, Kurt Roper on board. Um, they get a new tight ends coach. They keep Quan Drake on board. I, I mean, how much turnover do you do you want in a situation like him getting hired? Um, I, I would have to look more into who he has big time relationships with. If, if it is Ryan Day, I think Roper and Cheverini are a really good fit to stick around there and continue to do what they do because Roper's very well respected. He's a quarterback guy. Ryan Day is not really a quarterback guy uh, and the players seem to like him a ton obviously chosen to be the interim guy um, I think those two are really 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 good thing I think again Ross Ellis is a guy that you would like to keep around I think everybody else in that scenario is probably in some trouble uh, again Drake and Shadon Brown are the two that I would consider but would have to see what are the other options were I think everybody else is gone probably in that not sure if Dar Darren Darian Hagan is going to remain the running backs coach, but it's hard to imagine him not on staff. He's been around so long. Yeah, I mean, it's we'll see how it plays out. I mean, he might be in a reduced role. He's taken that on before, so I don't know if he'd be willing to do it. I just can't. If, if it's not a reduced role, is somebody else really going to hire him around the country? I don't. I don't know. I mean, he hasn't exactly put his name out there 
nationally as a up and coming guy at this point. I mean, he's, he's at Colorado because of his ties here at this point. I'm not saying he's done a bad job, because I don't think that's true, but I think he would have a tough time landing a gig somewhere else at the same level he's at now. Had some basketball topics we were going to run through, but we've taken this podcast as long as we should today. That'll give us more stuff to talk about on our, our next show. Strangely, now that football season's over, it's easier for me to do these podcasts because when you're free off and it was when the media availability was happening yeah. at CU. Yeah, I, I make it tough. To, I'm not very available these days, unfortunately, <laughs> so I apologize for that. I wish I could be around more, but... You're all grown up, uh, Tyler. Yeah, got jobs and stuff. <laughs> But yeah, I do want to welcome Jake Shapiro to the buffstampede.com staff. We need to get him on a, a podcast, especially because he's going to be covering basketball. the majority of the basketball home yep. games this year. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, he's an energetic kid. Obviously, we have a relationship. Yeah. And we're friends outside of this business. So um, it's cool to see him get another opportunity to be around CU. He's doing a lot of stuff with Bass, and I hope it works out well. Yeah, he's doing a lot of stuff with the Associated Press uh, for nuggets games and, and obviously if you follow the rockies you know his coverage there has been really good so um, i don't know how long we'll be able to keep him on staff as a contributor buffstampede.com but while he's on the staff uh, definitely excited to have him uh, tyler are you ready to get some gq barbecue yes sir time to get it done if if you live in denver and you haven't been to gq yet it's kind of a sin at this point right yeah i mean if you like barbecue which i don't know how you can be alive and not like barbecue but um, yeah, get down here, thank us later. Highly recommend it. 120th and Sheridan in kind of cross between Westminster and Broomfield, and there's going to be a second location opening up down south soon. So definitely check out GQ if you haven't yet. Thanks for tuning in. Hopefully we'll be back next week with a new podcast, and hopefully we have a new head coach to, to talk about on the next show. Thanks for tuning in.